So today I am talking with Brandy. Brandy is the founder and CEO of Evio Beauty Group. Evio is a judgment-free zone where beauty made with good-for-you ingredients and sustainable packaging builds community to encourage everyone to do the right thing, even when no one's looking. Okay, so Brandy Lifeso. <laughs> wow. That is what I have to say about this interview with her. I am not easily at a loss for words, but this woman, easily one of the most inspiring people I have had the pleasure to meet in my career. She went from living in a battered women's shelter and starting her company with $15 to her name to growing it to a $15 million company. Seriously. Like she got knocked down in more ways than one and had everything taken from her, but she just kept getting back up. Amazing. You have got to hear this. Welcome, Brandy. Thanks for having me, Emily. <laughs> you are welcome. So, Evio, tell me how you started that. Yeah, so I started Evio, um, it will now be like six years ago. Wow. Or five years ago now. Five years ago is when Evio was founded. And I started it actually while I was going through a really hard time in my life. And I was living in a woman's shelter. And I was there because I was leaving a unhealthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, I had a laptop and maybe $15 to my name. And I taught myself how to use Photoshop on YouTube. And I was really just doing that to distract myself from what was going on in my reality. Mm -hmm. And then I photoshopped an entire catalog of makeup that didn't exist. And then I shopped that catalog around to local boutiques and made enough pre-sales, wholesale, to actually bootstrap the company. And I bootstrapped it from the shelter, started employing people in the shelter, and started building this community around it. And I had no idea what I was creating and scaled it. In those five years, we had scaled it from a $15 company to a $15 million company. So why why makeup? Yeah. So, I mean, interesting enough, like, I don't really wear a ton of makeup. It's not necessarily my passion isn't makeup artistry. But what really excites me about makeup is how much opportunity there is to connect. Mm-hmm. And also how it's a product that really unites people. Mm-hmm. And... It was really interesting in living in the shelter. There was 30 women. It was the shelter that I was living in is a type of shelter called a safe house. So it's like a lockdown shelter where people escaping domestic violence or like human trafficking, those kinds of challenges in life, they live in what's called a safe house. Mm-hmm. So it's very different than what people might imagine a shelter to be if you're experiencing homelessness. And while I was there, so there was 30 women and myself and there was one bathroom. And so I'm sure you can imagine you really kind of cherish that time to yourself. And we were all so different, but all kind of going through a very similar thing, but also kind of disconnected. But the one thing that was common amongst all of us is that despite the hard things we were going through, we still, you know, wore makeup, put ourselves together. Like the world would never expect the kind of turmoil these women and myself were going through. And I thought, wow, that's pretty incredible that a product like this can create such impact to your confidence and unite women in this way. Mm-hmm. So that really, and then the psychology behind that, the psychology of, you know, putting on some lipstick and historically putting on some lipstick, you know, even during war tour times, lipstick sales soar. 
And it's this confidence and almost like this comfort blanket. And the psychology of that really interests me. And then as I started to dive deeper into the actual logistics and business dev of makeup, which I'm sure you're familiar with as well, I started really understanding. I mean, at this time, this was, you know, years ago and indie beauty wasn't nearly at what it is today. Mm-hmm. And it was predominantly run by men on Wall Street. And it still is. The larger corporations still are because at the end of the day, it's a high margin product. So it's really a finance company at the end of the day is how things operate. And historically and still presently, it's predominantly a male industry. And that's okay. We can all work together on it. But what I found to be really interesting about that is that none of them had actually ever tried the product. And so there was a lot of room to unite and work together. And I think that there's very few products in the world that really allow for such a unique dive into the psychology of equity and equality in society. And that's really what interests me about cosmetics more than like what shade the lip gloss is, you know? (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. Great story. So what, when you say that it was a lockdown, like what's the difference between that and a regular homeless shelter? Because I've done different like volunteer work with the homeless shelters, but I've never been to one like that. Yeah. So usually like they don't have people like come or anything like that because the people who are there, like their identities are kind of concealed for the purpose of not like, because they're at in immediate danger. And that's kind of the difference of it is that if you're in immediate danger, often you'll stay at a safe house where there's just different security procedures in place. The police are much more involved in that experience as well. So once you arrive there, they set up a safety plan for you. Sometimes there might be warrants out for the arrest of the person who has abused you, things like that. And so also historically in domestic violence, you know, all the time people ask, you know, why did she stay? Or why didn't she just leave? Or they put a lot of the blame on the, I hate this word, but on the victim. Mm-hmm. And so, but the truth of it is that I forget what the exact statistic is, but it's over 60% of victims or like women, I'm saying women, but this happens to men too. It's just the numbers are so much more significant in women, but over 60% of women that leave, the abuse gets worse. And a large portion of them, that's actually after you leave and go to police to get help. That's actually when the majority of women lose their lives. And in Canada, every six days, we lose a woman to domestic violence. Whoa, I didn't know that. That's huge. And that's just in Canada. The statistics are even more rattling in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so that's a legitimate fear. Mm-hmm. And so these safe houses really help kind of protect from that and really understand the situation. So it's you go to the safe house when you are a a woman who's at risk for things to get much worse. Wow. And so you had been in an abusive relationship yourself and that was what led you there. Yeah. And I read, I believe it was your Toronto Life article that after your company started getting big, that he trademarked the name. The first name was something different. Yeah. So this is a part of the story I don't share all the time because I mean, I feel like I can, you know, create such a long story. And, oh, and um, but, <laughs> but I mean, this is life. Like everybody has such long, intricate stories. The human life is never less than complex. But 
Yeah, when I was in the shelter, so the company that I actually created when I was in the shelter, and the shelter now was seven years ago. And that company was actually called Karma Face Cosmetics. So it started just the way I just explained to you that like I had a laptop and I photoshopped these catalogs, but that makeup catalog was called Karma Face Cosmetics, not EVO. Uh And so I then took that Karma Face Cosmetics catalog and shopped it around to local boutiques. And that's how I made enough pre-sales on the Karma Face line. So he ended up having a warrant for his arrest and he was arrested. And while he was on house arrest awaiting his trial he trademarked karma face cosmetics and sued me for infringement <sighs> wow yeah wow and so then i ended up closing that down by that point i had gotten the product to the shelves and he had messaged every store <gasps> um that we were on the shelves of and had threatened them with legal action if they didn't remove the product from their store. He also contacted our manufacturers and threatened them with legal action if they continued to manufacture the product. And he also, I owned karmafacecosmetics.com because karmaface.com was like one of those premium websites on GoDaddy and Mm -hmm. I couldn't afford that. So I bought the $10 one, not the $1,000 one. And he bought karmaface.com and posted really inappropriate comments and photos about our abuse. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was really, and so that really put a halt obviously to the first cosmetic line that I created. And so after fighting for a short while, I just recognized my energy. I was never going to get to where I wanted to go fighting for something Mm -hmm. that wasn't right, where I could be using my energy to just do the right thing and encourage other people to do the same. Mm-hmm. and live by example of that and that's only like these situations in life that happen to you they take so much from you but you get to choose if you're going to continue to allow it to have the power mm-hmm. and at that moment I had gotten you know my confidence back to make that choice that I just wasn't going to continue that fight and wasn't going to continue to allow this situation to have that power so I gave karma face over and started EBO. So EBO is what started five years ago, but that battle started seven years ago. Wow. Where is this D-bag now? I have no idea. <laughs> and Hopefully in jail. <laughs> I mean, and I do feel, I mean, this is going to sound a little crazy, but I do feel like I need to say like he was a good person and it's complex and like humans are complex and He's a good person who did some bad things. I think he suffered from, you know, mental health challenges Mm -hmm. and addiction challenges. And he didn't have the support that he needed. Mm -hmm. And I was 21 years old. Like, Mm -hmm. I didn't know and I didn't have family support or the support that I needed either in life. And so I didn't know what to do with, you know, some of the challenges that he was experiencing. And I certainly contributed to, you know... I don't want to say making things worse because that's his responsibility, not mine, but I certainly contributed to an unhealthy environment just by simply not knowing what to do. Mm -hmm. And that's actually why I share my story, not to, you know, highlight his flaws, but to highlight just how complex it is and how it's so important for us to, you know, have awareness surrounding these things because you never know. It could be anybody tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Like it's not that like a bad person collided on my path. It's the complexity of addiction and mental health 
and lack of support and just the perfect storm happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that doesn't make the actions that occurred any better. And it doesn't take away his responsibility for those things. But I think it's important for people to know that domestic violence is really complex and it's not Mm -hmm. just bad people, you know? Mm -hmm. What I love about that story though, is that even though you had been in such a awful situation and then he knocked you down by taking this company that you built, taking the name, but you didn't give up. Yeah. You, you kept going. And I hear that all the time when I'm at women's events. People will come up and something will have happened. There was a girl recently and she made a video on YouTube. She wanted to be a YouTuber and it went viral. And then somebody reported the music she used and they took it down and then she gave up and she never made another oh. video. It's like, how did you find, you know, the strength to keep going after that? You know what? Like, I don't even know what possessed me to, like, learn how to use Photoshop on YouTube. (laughs) Like, who does that to pass the time with, like, no end result in mind? I don't know. But honestly, I think I just, I knew how bad things could be. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this can't be life. Like, if this is true, and I grew up in a home that some of these things were normalized. I mean, the first time I lived in a shelter, I was six months old. So wow, it was a bit of hereditary patterns as well. Mm-hmm. So again, like, it's really complex. And I think that I recognized, I just kind of woke up in that moment of my life, just that like, wow, like, I lived through this the entire 21 years of my life at that point because I was 21 when I went into the safe house. And wow, like, is this really what life is? Like, it can't be anymore. Like, this is what I watched it be for, you know, other people in my life. And now this is my life. And yeah, I think that that's just kind of what really woke me up. It's just that, is this the life that I want to live or is something else possible? Mm-hmm. And then once I got kind of like a sniff of like, wow, something else is possible, then I was hooked, to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you probably know this, Emily. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an addiction in on its own entrepreneurship. Oh, yes. And, you know, you see some results. And those results aren't always even called, like, financial. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they are and sometimes they're not. But whatever they are, they're high, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you get a taste of that. And then and you're, you're like, just wow. constantly like, chasing it. Yeah, exactly. So I think that it was a bit of that. <laughs> wow. That's um, quite the story. And so this was in BC, right? You grew up in BC? I lived in BC for most of my adult life. So I moved there when I was 17. Okay. And I lived in Vancouver for like seven years. And you didn't have, was your family entrepreneurs or you didn't have any experience in... Yeah, no, I didn't even know what the word entrepreneur was. Oh, really? (laughs) Not a clue. Yeah, nobody. (laughs) My dad was a farmer. And as I grew up, like, later in life, my mom was a nurse. And, yeah, they're really simple folks. And, yeah, they, like, even now, I think, like, on my dad's side of the family, they still live on the farm. They don't have the internet. Mm -hmm. And, like, most of their neighbors are Mennonites. And... I'm not even sure they really know what I do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, no, how did, I mean, no entrepreneurs in my family. <laughs> how did you learn business? Was it just kind of trial and error? Yeah. I'm curious how you learned it, too. I'm so curious of, like, how entrepreneurs, because all of our paths are so drastic. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, honestly, just like through gut feeling, just mm-hmm. like, hey, this feels like the right thing to do. And, you know, going through everything with good intentions, doing the right thing, even when no one's looking and just, you know, when something isn't working out, pivoting, making a decision. And then if that's the wrong decision, just making a new decision just to, yeah, and then just keep learning, learning through the failures and trying mm-hmm. to celebrate the successes. For sure, yeah, I found that Google was a huge help. (laughs) Definitely, yes. I remember actually 10 years ago, I bought the book Business for Dummies. (laughs) No way. (laughs) I still have it somewhere buried away. I don't even think I read it. I think I read like the first chapter. It's probably so outdated now. But yeah, it's crazy what you can figure out if you have (laughs) Wi-Fi. You can really Google YouTube anything. And just kind of figure it out if there's a will. There's definitely a way. So you've kind of pivoted, I think, with where you're going. Like, because you've gotten into the cannabis industry as well, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we haven't really pivoted. Our whole mission is to create a more conscious and kinder future Mm -hmm. and to encourage people and inspire them to do the right thing, even when no one's looking. And honestly, cannabis just helps us along that mission. Mm-hmm. And I know it might sound a little bit crazy, but cannabis has made us a kinder, more conscious company. And it's allowed us to reduce our use of plastic, eliminate the use of animal byproducts, and create more transparency in an industry that's self-regulated on ingredients. So really, it was just caveat to our already existing mission. And when we did the cannabis deal, So we partnered with Aurora Cannabis and they invested in us in 2018 prior to legalization. And we were the first people to do a deal with like a beauty and cannabis deal at that time. And a number of people were like, what are you doing? That's illegal. You're breaking the law. You know, you're really operating in the gray area. And I truly believe in breaking the rules when the rules don't make sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the only way we innovate and bring the future forward in a way that's more conscious. And so mm-hmm. Canvas just allowed us to further our mission. But really, we stayed our course and did the same thing. But what we did do after that investment and partnership was it allowed us the ability to go direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. So we no longer sell wholesale. And so that was a giant pivot that we had after that. Oh, you don't do any wholesale? No wholesale. Yeah. Why is that? I truly believe that retailers and brands operate currently in the way that things have always been done simply just because they've always been done that way. Mm-hmm. And the wholesale model is flawed. It's really flawed. And we previously were partnered. We were selling to more than 200 doors in the U.S. and Canada, Australia, EU, and UK. And... I didn't see it as being a way that we were going to be able to scale in the way in which I envisioned. So we have some really exciting retail partnerships coming up in 2020, Mm -hmm. but they're really like putting the way that retailers and brands work with each other on their head. So we're actually not selling to them. And these meetings were actually hilarious. We walked into one of Canada's largest department stores into a meeting with them. And they brought all their buyers. And we were thinking, like, why are there buyers here? I thought I made it very clear we didn't want a wholesale. And then their buyers were like, so why should we buy you? And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> we're not for sale. You can't. And they were so taken back. And they were like, um, like who is this chump? Like, why is he here? <laughs> And it actually formed into this incredible relationship. 
that we are doing really exciting project that I can't announce yet, mm-hmm. but it will be the first of its kind, not just in Canada, but globally. And I think that it's really exciting to be spearheading the change of how retailers and brands work together because it can't be ignored that the system's no longer working and mm-hmm. things are changing quickly. Retailers are struggling and brands are largely going on to e-com. And it's also taking away a really important step of connecting human to human with your consumer because there's not that in-person aspect. And especially in beauty, that's a really important aspect to have for such a personal product and feeling Mm -hmm. the textures and you can always sell more in person. So how do we, you know, take what's working from retail and take what's working from the brands and merge them together in a way that's going to be immersive and experiential and fun for the shopper? And so we're really excited for that to come to fruition across Canada in 2020. So mm, yeah. that is that is a difficult thing because I know you recently launched concealers. Yeah, it's a personal thing. How do people properly match their concealer from EVO? So we actually have a program called Text Me Selfie, and we have like a real human on the other side of our one eight hundred email phone number. So you can text message a selfie to one eight hundred email, and <laughs> no Amy will match your concealer colors. That yeah. is such a that's such a neat idea. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. I hope right now. I mean, it's also fun because we you form better relationships via text message with your customers than you do on like a live chat because live mm-hmm. chats are kind of stigma into, you know, customer support and your friends are what shows up in your SMS. So it's a really fun, unique way to connect with consumers. And it's also super funny. Amy will just be sitting there and randomly like faces will be showing up. (laughs) (laughs) That she must get bombarded though with messages. We just launched this and so it's still kind of getting its legs. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so we're actually, we've sat down to figure out some ways to modify some of it, to automate it some more so that it's more scalable. But at the end of the day, we'll have to scale the human power behind it if it picks up more just because, yeah, that human to human connection is so important. And yeah, but some of it will be automated. It'll simply have to be. Yeah. So when you partnered with Aurora, was that your first investor that you took on? No, earlier on in 2018, we partnered with Breakwater Venture Capitalists as well. So that was our first kind of like more conventional one. And then also six months prior to that, Hunter Amenities, the world's largest amenity manufacturer, invested in us as well. And prior to that, we had a couple smaller like angel investments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those were kind of the bulk of our investments. How did you find your investors? Because I know that a lot of new entrepreneurs really struggle with that? Yeah, we were fortunate that all of our investors came to us. I think that it's kind of just in the nature too of like being a bit naive. And I don't think that being naive is a bad thing at all. Mm-hmm. I just had my head down, was just doing my thing mm-hmm. and was just working hard. And when you work hard, it gets noticed. And we were fortunate enough that people were noticing some of the work that we were doing in the indie space and, and more so even I think people were more surprised by my story and wanted to get, I think, although our numbers were strong, I think for a lot of people, it was an emotional investment as well. Mm -hmm. A lot of these companies are run by older men who have daughters my age or, or younger. And I think for a lot of them, they were recognizing, you know, they want their children to have 
somebody to look up to and they want to, you know, see the world change and provide more opportunities. And so I think that that certainly that emotional aspect was certainly a part of the investments as well. And then of course, just we had our heads down and we're working and we're producing some great results. Mm -hmm. I never took on investors. So I'd been approached many times, but I just couldn't give up the, you know, when it got down to signing everything, it's like, I don't want to have to answer to somebody. You know, I don't yeah. have to, because I feel as an entrepreneur, you know, we, we do this for our own freedom. So we don't have anyone to answer to. And then I felt like doing that kind of took away from it. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that in some ways. I mean, I like the accountability for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I never thought of it that way. I definitely like the accountability and it's forced me to grow as an entrepreneur to have, I'm an artistic mind, not an analytical, like (laughs) I'm an analytical person, but I'm definitely not a, like logistics and operations, like do not leave that to me. (laughs) Um, We will not survive a day, but yeah. So I liked that accountability aspect, but also what I really, really liked about it was again, going back to like the mission and just because of where I started, it meant so much to me to, I recognized a large problem in the system was that things were being done the way they've always been done. And what got you here isn't going to get you there. So if you want to see change in the world, if you want to see, you know, more women in powerful seats and things like that, I recognize that it kind of needs to be an inside job Mm -hmm. in, in some regards. I mean, it's a combination of both for sure. And I thought that it was really powerful and interesting and forced me to grow at a rate that I was uncomfortable, which always excites me to be, to have a seat at the table with some of these, you know, multi-billion dollar companies that were, you know, headed by and spearheaded by men um, who were putting their money where their mouth was to create the change that they wanted to see. But at the same time, their expectations were of you were the same expectations they would have of any other investment as they should be to produce results. and. I think that that equity really is driving the world forward in terms of equality for women. Mm -hmm. And so that was a really big part of wanting to take on that investment is to have a seat at some of those tables. Mm -hmm. Very smart. I love that. And what were some of the biggest struggles you've had? Because you've grown pretty quickly, especially from where you were. To be completely honest... 2019 has been one of the hardest years I have ever had as an entrepreneur. And it's just because I think I've had, you know, as you're changing, actually, you can probably really, really relate to this, as you're changing as a person. And if you've created like a brand identity, I feel like I've changed a lot as a person in the last year. And I'm no longer identified with the brand identity that I had previously created. Okay. And that was made it really, really difficult. I mean, previously, it was so easy to make quick decisions relating to the brand because I had such, it's easy to make decisions when you know who you are. Mm-hmm. It becomes a lot more difficult to make decisions when you're unsure of who you are. And so I think that I worked through a lot of things personally in my personal life. I think that, you know, going through a lot of the challenges that I did early on in life, those certainly leave you scarred in some ways and like I have PTSD and so working through a lot of those things and then all of a sudden your life is great and you have this sense of comfort 
all of a sudden then you're like your body and your brain tells you like okay I'm safe now and okay now you have to deal with this like now you have to deal with the residue and you don't even have a choice it just kind of is like okay now you're going to deal with this residue and so naturally just working through a lot of that and who it made me as a person because those things change you mm-hmm. I no longer identified with what I had created previously and now I had shareholders change. <laughs> and I no longer identify with it. And that created a huge internal struggle and it made it a lot harder to make choices. And like it made it difficult to navigate through that. And to be honest, it's something that I'm still really navigating through. It's like, because at the end of the day, like you have to be the company's biggest fan and you have to scream its message at the rooftop. And if you no longer believe in that message, you're not going to show up to your job the best way you can so the company needs to evolve just the same way you have as a human and it's a lot harder to do that when there's more people involved mm-hmm. I love the pivot that it's taken I've watched it the last year I love the branding and the products and the message behind each thing and even the names they're so clever thank you oh that that means so much to me because it yeah it's been a trip it's been a trip <laughs> And I love that like you don't overwhelm with a bunch of products, but you focus on certain products and doing them really well. Yeah. Like I've used your primer and I love it. Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, I know I had similar struggles with Femme Fatale. So when I started it 10 years ago, obviously I was a totally different person and in a different place. And what started as, you know, promotional modeling, as I got older, I don't want to have a company that focuses on attractive women selling products because that no longer aligns with me and the values that I have. You know, it was great and we provided people with a lot of flexible employment and things like that. But I want to inspire young women to feel comfortable in whoever they are and feel beautiful. So it's been a struggle pivoting the company and also trying to open up our customers to a new idea of beauty, which has been great because a lot of people are more now going towards the girl next door or, you know, plus size models and things like that. But I did really experience that as well because it's like, okay, what are we selling here? And what are we perpetuating Mm -hmm. in the world? Because we're putting these perfect models on the cover of magazines or at events selling products at the trade shows. But, you know, I no longer wanted to do that. But I have noticed a big switch for sure. I mean, back in 2009, every inquiry that we got was like, I want a Caucasian female, you know, early 20s, blonde, busty. And now it's a lot more approachable, outgoing, friendly, educated, things like that. And and especially... To like, yeah, a lot of girl next door, which is so great. And adding, you know, more diversity to our roster and things like that has been, has been good with making switch. But I totally know what what you mean with it no longer aligning with who you are. And we become so involved with our companies and it is, you know, our identity. Absolutely. That it can be, for me anyways, it's my happiness a lot of the time. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody who's not an entrepreneur wouldn't understand, but you put every part of who you are into these companies. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's also like kind of going back to what we were talking about before, like that it's like an addictive thing as well. So like when you are no longer identifying with it, 
you are not getting excited the same way and Mm -hmm. then you're not getting that quick hit and then you're getting like a bit depressed and you're just like Mm -hmm. like, and then nothing's firing the way that it should be and then you're like oh man like why is this such a struggle this was so not easy but you know like Mm -hmm. this was so smooth previously why am I making this more difficult than it needs to be but the truth is is it needs to be that difficult because we need to evolve in order to continue to be innovators. But like, damn, that is <laughs> yeah. so tough. Yeah. Do you ever feel like giving up? No. I mean, I'll be honest. Like I've had some like major shifts in the last year of my life. And I've had new thoughts of what, like what I thought my future would look like a year ago is very different than what I think it will look like now. Like now I'm starting to think about like kids, and marriage and because of the man that I told you about earlier (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so I mean that kind of changes things because previously EBO was my everything Mm -hmm. like in fact I remember when I first started dating Curran I told him like on our third date we went to New York and we were there we hardly knew each other we had literally just met twice before that for like coffee (laughs) and to go to like a Cirque du Soleil show together. So like hardly knew each other. And we both fly into New York together. And I'm like, Oh, just hold on a minute. I just have to go to a meeting real quick. And I'll be right back. I'll meet you back at the hotel. This meeting turned into like a six hour meeting. It was a phenomenal meeting. And I just couldn't leave because you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's like that hit of like, wow, this is great meeting, great opportunity, great people. Like, you have to show up for that and so and show up like as your best self and I really couldn't leave that situation I didn't want to and so when I got back to the hotel I apologized obviously profusely and he asked me he's like no is it always going to be like this and I think at this point I'm not even sure he knew really what I did for a living either like it was literally our third date Mm -hmm. and he's like is it always going to be like this and I told him I said if I'm being honest yes EVO will always be my priority. It'll always be my number one. It is my child. It's an extension of who I am. Mm-hmm. And I would be lying to you if I said anything different. Yes. And he was like, okay, I know what I've gotten myself into. And like, I'm here, I'm showing up for this and I'll support you. Like, how was your meeting? And was really enthusiastic about it. And that's also when I was like, this is my human. But, <laughs> but that's changed for me. I mean, EVO still is my number one priority and it's my everything, but at the end of the day now too, I see a future of like having a family and things like that as well. So certainly your priorities shift if you have like a little human involved. I mean, EVO is like a little human, but it shifts. As is he an involved. entrepreneur? So he had a side hustle mm-hmm. when we first met. And now a couple months ago, he quit his full-time job and he's now full-blown like into entrepreneurship. But I think that that also evolved and changed a lot for him through us dating as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he's definitely, and actually he's an actor as well. So that's also a new venture for him that he got into this year, but he's been crushing it. I think he's filming like a Nissan commercial today or tomorrow or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He's been booking like crazy. So, and that's kind of its own form of entrepreneurship. So. Have you found it was really hard before that to date? Yes. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. People don't understand. You know, I was engaged before years ago and it was just impossible because they don't understand 
the dedication that you have, you know, it's like you're in the middle of a dinner and like you say, your phone goes off and it's like, okay, I have to take this. Yeah. I'm stepping out for half an hour (laughs) to to take this client call and they don't understand how many hours you want to put into the business. But I think that's too more so in the earlier years, I guess we get older, we kind of calm down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You don't like need that, that quick hit nearly as often, Mm -hmm. I guess. But is that what led you to create the dating site or like the dating company? So in earlier on, I lived at the Ritz Carlton in Toronto and at the residence there. And I met a lot of amazing people. So like a lot of different professional athletes and actors and politicians live there and they didn't really have access to date because they were recognizable and things like that. And so I would introduce them to people and I was always having events there for Femme Fatale and they would meet people. I would introduce them at the parties and people were staying together and getting married. And so they would tell somebody, oh, you got to talk to Emily. Like she knows everybody. So I started getting emails and calls and texts from random people that I didn't know. I was in New York and I came across this one company there that was a a luxury matchmaking agency. And I started looking into it and I was like, I love this. If I'm going to be doing this anyways, I might as well make it into a business. And we already had access to so many amazing people. A lot of the people even that had started with us as brand ambassadors or models had gone on to their professional careers. They used it to put them through school. So one of the first people that I set up that are still together, she was a doctor and had just started her career. I set up my lawyer. <laughs> like, And I just, yeah, it just quickly took off and we have clients all over the world. And it's such a crazy thing when you introduce somebody to their life partner and because you're essentially giving somebody their happiness. I mean, these people are a lot of CEOs that have, you know, dedicated their life to their business. And it's great, obviously, like you said, being successful and achieving all these things. But then you get to this point where it's like, okay, now what? What did I work so hard for? And you don't even lonely. It gets really lonely to not feel understood by the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And to have one human who who does makes Mm -hmm. it more worthwhile. Yeah. And it makes it so much easier too (laughs) for the bad Yeah. (gasps) For sure. So what are your future plans with EVO? Yeah. So right now, I mean, we kind of like have our eyes on changing the way that retailers and brands are operating together. So Mm -hmm. really, we're really excited to be launching four different experiential shopping opportunities across Canada this coming that year. That partnership you talked about? Yeah. So we're really excited. We're hoping that we'll probably be able to announce it early, like Q1 for sure, 2020. Mm-hmm. So we're really excited about that. That's been a really fun project to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's kind of what our focus is. And then being able to scale that so that hopefully, you know, it can be the movement, the start of a movement to spearhead the changes that are happening amongst brands and retailers so that we can continue kind of a theme that I've had in my entrepreneurial career is, you know, how can we find a way to all work together that's going to, you know, change the way people think, like even cannabis, like, okay, how can we work with them to further our mission Mm -hmm. and, you know, break the rules when the rules don't make sense mm-hmm. and change the way people are thinking. And so, because again, like what got us here in the world isn't going to get us there. And if we want a kinder, more conscious future, we need to change the way we're thinking and connecting with each other. And so we're really excited to be a part of spearheading 
that change in brands and retailers. And so, yeah, we're excited to pilot this across Canada with our partner and see where it'll land on a much larger scale um, throughout North America. And that's kind of at our forefront now. We have a couple new products coming out. We have some really exciting um, sampling box partnerships coming out with Box of Charm and Ipsy in Q1 of 2020. We're really excited to see those come to fruition and like watch just shy of a million people try our products in Q1. So yeah, we're really excited for 2020 and, and also, you know, just solidifying that new brand identity and mm. going through this like human-like journey with the brand mm-hmm. is kind of exciting and fun and a little bit scary. And so, yeah, that's... I watched that's this video of you actually smoking pot. I think it was for the first time, was it? The witch? You were smoking pot. You smoked a joint in a video. Oh. <laughs> Our brought and roll. I didn't smoke it. I just rolled it. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it was my first time rolling it. I'm not opposed to smoking pot, though. But I'm not opposed to, like... I mean, I've even spoken about it a lot, like plant medicine and psychedelics. I actually think that's an industry that's really on the rise, that's going to do incredible things beyond what cannabis has ever been able to do for society. Mm-hmm. So I'm really into those kinds of things, but I don't think no, I'm I waiting for the first psychedelic company to come so that I can invest in them. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Keep my finger on the pulse. So now where can people find more information about you? Yeah, at com is the best place to check us out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for reaching out, Emily. It was really nice to chat. You too.